Hey, this is JD from the Blunt uh, Norse Trauma Podcast. Just here to say good luck to your Packers this week coming into the bank. We look forward to taking you on. I'm hoping for a good game. Hoping to see Minnesota walk out of their victors. But all in good fun. This is a great rivalry. Uh, Want to see the best of the best out there for both teams. Uh, Got to shut down Devontae Adams. He's your man. But it will be nice to send Aaron Rodgers packing with uh, without his COVID, but without a win, too. So good luck to you guys. And I know what you say. Go Pack Go. We say no Pack No here in Viking country. And uh, skull to y'all. Hey, everyone. How you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher. And you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go. Welcome to episode 63 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lowell. Peter Jones is with me tonight. Todd is being a good father, so salute to him. Hopefully Erickson is acing the combine that he is at. He is at a football combine showing his skills. Todd won't say this, but I will. He has a very talented son. I used to get this iPhone version of the highlights when they lived in Hawaii. He would send me stuff, and Erickson was like a man amongst boys when he was seven. So shout out to you, Todd. Thank you for being a good father, and we will see you in episode 64. Episode 63, the Fuzzy Thurston episode, where Peter's going to tell us that he signed an autograph for Fuzzy Thurston. You know, best wishes, Peter Jones, and gave it to Fuzzy or something. Go ahead, Peter. <laughs> uh, good evening, good evening, Dale. Yeah, 63 is one of those numbers that's been used quite a lot in Packers history. We've been through a number of numbers where we've almost just had a player by default, but this week 63 is a, a good number. And before we get to Fuzzy, I guess one other guy we should mention, um, Mike Machowski wore 63 for part of one year in the 1930s and you can't not mention a pro football hall of famer hall of fame guard played both ways like those guys did did back then i iron mike machowski great great player and player that we'll talk about more when we get to one of his real numbers at some point did like 63 rip and there were two pores of franchise that like replaced you're like sorry buddy <laughs> probably back then probably had to do a stock sale to pay for more jerseys or, or whatever yeah but 63, I think, you know, that number is synonymous with Fuzzy Thurston for, I think, just about every Packers fan. And we can picture dear old Fuzzy there with Packers running the power sweep and Fuzzy and Jerry Kramer, 64, leading leading Paul Horning or Jim Taylor around the edge there. Fuzzy's a wonderful, wonderful guy, I think, as anybody that ever ever met Fuzzy would, would, would say. I, I had the good fortune to meet him on a couple of occasions and really... Just everything that people say about him is absolutely true. And a great player. Um, one of the few guys, I think, one of four guys in NFL history as a player that's won six NFL championships. 
won a title with the Baltimore Colts in 58 before coming to the Packers in 59 and then won five, obviously, with the Packers during the 60s. And just a tremendous, tremendous player. And obviously, as we said about the power sweep, but a very underrated pass blocker as well. Very, very good pass blocking left guard. What else is there to say? Wonderful, wonderful guy. Very much epitomized that Packers team of the of the 60s. If I am not mistaken, which I could be, I think he's from a small town in Wisconsin. He is, Altoona. Altoona, Wisconsin. I yeah. thought I read that, but yeah. I'm like, mm, maybe yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to say it out loud, but thank you for confirming that I actually was right about something. So that's pretty cool. And then he played with the Colts. I did not know that. And then he came back home. So, yeah, came to the Packers in 59. Vince traded for him, probably at the urging of, of Jack Venisi. From that point onwards, you know, slotted into the left guard slot and was there for the best part of a decade. What else can you say? Nothing. You don't have to say nothing. He was a great player and a very nice 63. It's no Brett Goody, whatever. <laughs> it's an actual, actual Packer that pe- people that who have followed the Packers could remember. Yeah, he's kind of iconic. I, I don't, yeah. Iconic maybe isn't the right word, but when you look at the 60s Packers, there are certain names you remember, and he's one of them. Even for somebody like us who weren't around in the early 60s when he was playing, you know, he just is kind of his name has stood the test of time. Yeah. Thanks to Rhonda at RM Management for keeping me out of the poverty line. And thanks to Dwight at DDGCustoms.com. Todd and I went to the Packer game with Dwight on Sunday. We had a great time. I handed the shoes off. So those are going to get worked on. I'm very excited about that. Dwight and I spent an hour and a half in the car on the way up. And I, you know, he's telling me about all the things that he's going to do. He's trying to, he's going to try some even more custom things than last year's shoes. So I'm super excited about what he's going to produce. The minute I get them back, I'm putting them on Twitter because I know they'll be spectacular. So thanks to Dwight. Thanks to Rhonda. We appreciate both of you. If you are trying to find us and you're listening to us for the first time, we are on Twitter at AVG Cheese. And we also take emails from time to time, avgcheese at gmail.com. And I have not put an episode on Facebook. Eh, maybe I did put the last one on. I can't remember. But we are also there. And like I sort of let the cat out of the bag last time, we're going to hand a Average Cheese website over to Peter, who's the smartest of the three. And hopefully sometime soon, maybe 2022, he'll have something amazing for us. Sorry, I just dropped that on you, Peter. I didn't even tell you where you were going to do that. (laughs) But there you go. Now we're going to add a historian, average cheese genius, and webmaster to your title. So you're welcome. And maybe you can fix my fucking computer. It keeps freezing up on me. Oh, and we cost for charity. I didn't even say that, but we cuss for charity every time a quarter hits the jar. That is one more quarter for Habitat for Humanity. And we cussed a lot last time, Todd and I, talking about Aaron Rodgers. At least I did. I think I put like $11 in on my own. I did voice my opinion. I did get a couple messages from people saying that they laughed really hard during that episode. So you're welcome. You're not going to get a lot of knowledge from me, but you will get hopefully a laugh or two. We added another state today which is super exciting. This great state of Mississippi where Brett Favre is from and currently resides. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that. He is back in the news. So welcome to you, 
if you are listening from Mississippi, and we hit 4,000 listens. Was it yesterday? Today? I can't remember. I'm already forgetting, but I'm so excited about that. We need 2,000 more, Peter. Remember, the goal is 6,000 listens by the end of the season. So, Although one guy on Twitter did, did tell us that he'd listened 3,750 times of those 4,000. That was you. <laughs> oh, was it me? Okay. Yeah. That, was, that, was just list, that was just listening to you guys from last week's episode. Yeah. I had to you keep got, replaying it. Yeah. Because why, why wouldn't you? It was genius. <laughs> it was uh, podcasting genius. You don't see this because it's an audio podcast, but Peter like has all these things. So he just had a picture up of him and Fuzzy Thurston. I have the mess that is the back of my dining room or den or whatever. Plus, I'm frozen once again for like the 80th time. And he now has a Southern Miss Golden Eagles pickup in the background. Is that your pickup, sir? No, I wish it were, but there's a story behind that. Let's go. We got time. Well, not much other than we were driving from Atlanta to Houston and the car got written off by a deer running across the road in the middle of the night in Mississippi. So we ended up having to find somewhere to stay in Mississippi. We were just down the road from Hattiesburg, which is where Southern Miss is. So while we're there, let's go to Southern Miss University, take some photos and see if we can find ourselves a quarterback down there. Did you see said quarterback at the time? I, no, I did not. I did not. No. So Brett Favre was in the news. Did you read that? Did I, I didn't send it to you because I'm freaking irresponsible. That whole Brett Favre not paying back the state of Mississippi thing, that has reared its ugly head once right. again. Someone that was involved in that whole mess is in legal trouble. It's not Brett Favre. Now, I don't usually defend Brett Favre on this show. Usually I just beat up on him. But so he has paid back the majority of that money, if not all of it. And I think that the state is trying to get back like 228000 in interest. How do you get 228000 in interest off of a million dollars? Like, what is it? 18% per, you know, like annually? Like, that's a, that's a big number. Now, do I think Brett Favre should have paid the money back? Yeah, it went to some organization and they basically swindled money like it was some kind of shadiness. If, he, if Brett pays back the $1.1 million, I'm good. Back in the news, not quite as crazy as usual. So I wanted to say this with Todd here, and I wanted to publicly apologize to my friend Todd for making fun of him and his lack of kicking prowess when we were at... The Packers-Seattle game. So, Todd, when you listen to this, this is my public apology to you. I just want to say, one, it was snowy that day, and there wasn't any shovels to be shoveling off the field or anything like that. No warmers. It was very bad conditions. You were wearing your snow boots and a hunting jacket and jeans. So when you only kick the ball eight and a half inches off the ground, I should not be making fun of you for that. So I publicly apologize. And like I was telling Peter before we started the show, Todd also doinked one off the right upright, which I happened to miss because I was still laughing at Todd for the first kick. And I did not get that on film. If I was better at like video editing, I would have edited in the 16 year old kids that were kicking them through the uprights. And I could have put that on Todd's video and all would have been well, but I don't have those kind of skills. So you get the actual video unedited. Sorry, Todd. It was fun though. I had a great time. So Peter is now 
has another title, and that is Packers owner. Congratulations, Peter. You are now the owner of the Green Bay Packers. A, a co-owner with you. Yes. We're all owners now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Todd is the longest standing owner of the average cheese. He's had his since the last time around. See, I haven't bought stock in the average cheese yet, though. It would be a penny stock, that's for sure. <laughs> so if you could send me a couple of 20 pence, that would really get you high up on the shareholder list. It would make you majority owner of the average cheese. Would that be another another stock purchase that's never going to raise in, rise in value? I will buy your shares back for two and a half cents, like the Packers say that they will, <laughs> they will buy their shares back. You know, I'll send you a piece of paper saying you are officially a shareholder. <laughs> it will not be as pretty as the one you get from the Green Bay Packers. It'll just be scribbled on and crayon. But I mean, it's the thought that counts. So congratulations. You're now one third owner of the average cheese, which only goes into further debt every time I cost her. Do, do I get yeah. a free window clean? Yeah, I sent you like seven. You did. <laughs> you did. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I need more. So. Oh, gosh, I'm going to go all over the place because I'm off script. Todd's only job other than to bring the food, buy the tickets, get the parking pass was to bring window clings to Lambeau Field. Do you think he brought any? He did not. (laughs) He did not. And I am out. I sent my last two out. So I'm going to have some more made for us. To be fair. He was probably mentally zoomed in, preparing himself for his for his kicking exploits. Yeah. Didn't have time to think about anything else. And the pressure of all 710 listeners being able to see him on video when he kicked it. That's a lot of pressure. And all of us laughing at him and drinking at the same time. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure on a man. It could, it could break you. It didn't break him mentally. We were just fine. He did have the requisite six beers, I think, before he did his tryout. So it was fine. All right. Where were we? Oh, yeah. We're both backer owners. So congratulations. So I wanted to bring this up. So Pete Carroll complained that the officiating had a big piece of the 17-0 loss that they took to the Packers. And we've complained about the officiating. And I've complained a lot about the officiating. Springing this on you now, Peter. But how do we fix that? What do you do? You have any solutions on how do we make the officiating better in the NFL? The the thing I I think about and I have to remind myself of is how many calls do they make or not make? But how many plays are there in a game? I I don't know. On average, are there 100 plays in a game? Maybe something like that. Now, I get that they're not going to make a call on every play but they potentially could make a call on every play. Do they get it wrong sometimes? Yes, but probably 95% of the time or more, they get the calls right. But I think that the officials, by and large, do do an okay job, but they write are under huge scrutiny. Up until recently, you weren't stopping plays and showing like zoomed in a hundred times on a sideline to show if the guy stepped out or not. And they're making those calls at full speed running a lot of times to a play that said, I think, and maybe I'm wrong. And that's why you're here, Peter. 
are the NFL officials the only officials in professional sports that don't actually work full time for their league? That's a great question. Why with the juggernaut that is the NFL, do they not have officials whose sole job is to be an official? Because I thought like Ed Hockley was like a lawyer and I think they have other jobs other than being an NFL official. So that's where I would start. That's my answer. I want the NFL to hire officials. I want them to be trained. I want them to go through film and see the things that they are doing right and doing wrong consistently. And while I don't think they should be fine, I think that officials should be sat down for games. They should have a large enough official pool where, man, Tony Carrente, you were really bad in this game. We're going to sit you down. I think the issue comes down to the le- comes down to the level of scrutiny. I'm not a hundred percent certain that it's any worse now than it's ever been. It's the level of scrutiny. Cameras all over the place. Cameras along the sideline, along the the goal line, all over the place. Every play has got you know I don't know how many cameras, twenty, twenty five, thirty cameras looking at it from every angle. I'm just not sure that all of the what fans perceivers, bad calls haven't always been there. I'm also not convinced, you know, and I'll hold my hand up on on this one as well, that we as fans are always aware of what we're looking at when it comes when it's in terms of certainly the intricacies of all of, of all of the rules, which is why it's sometimes helpful to have the the officiating guy that they have in the booth, although they don't always get it right. But sometimes, you know, you're looking at things that, that look like holding, for example. As he's always said, you could call holding on every play. So it's about the position of the hands, you know, inside the numbers is okay, et cetera, et cetera. If a guy starts to stretch out, how long is a hold before you have to let go to make it not a hold, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the difficulty we have is that we watch, if you watch one team like we tend to do, you're seeing a different set of officials from week to week who are calling calling the same play in different ways from week to week. So I think that makes it more difficult and makes it look like it's inconsistent. And I guess the only thing that you can really ask for is that the officiating is consistent. So if something's a hold, it's always a hold. If something's pass interference, it's always pass interference. Rather than, you know, you're going into a game and you're two quarters or halfway through a game, three quarters through a game before you actually know what they're going to call and what they're not going to call. I think your point about full-time officials or not being full-time officials is really valid because for all the time that they're not actually officiating games, like you've said, surely there can be work that can be done. To be fair to them, there's probably a better job that could be done in terms of, and I don't know how you would do this. It'd have to be done through the TV networks or whatever, pointing out where they've picked up really good stuff that we as fans probably wouldn't pick up. Well, there's enough TV angles now where they could use, the league could use that footage to train officials to be better officials. And I'm not saying I know whether they're doing that or not, but right, if your full-time job is to do officiating, you have more time to get better at said officiating. Yeah, and we always have an interesting conversation that's gone on over here for 10 or 15 years, maybe longer now, with regards to soccer officiating. It's very similar conversations. And one of the big things that's always been big talking point is whether the referee, you know, in soccer should be able to come out after a game and talk to the media 
and say, this is why this was called, this is why that was called, this is why this happened. I think the media would like that, but I think that probably just leads to, that would lead to chaos probably. Yeah, and it's never, you're going to have half the side as me like, oh, that's a ridiculous explanation. The other half of me like, yeah, great idea. I totally (laughs) get it. So I, I don't see the point in that at all. I do think that the NFL should just be honest. I know they're backing their guys, and really you want them to do that, right? You want them to back the officials. But there are times, like that Bears-Steelers game, it really looks like the official hip-checked the player. What? I've looked at it, I've looked at it multiple times, and I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not, I think he was trying to get out of the way. You think so? I think he was, yeah, I think he was trying to turn sideways and, and get out of the way. But Okay. I have but the I, but I would ex- side of that. Yeah, really no, do. and I would absolutely accept somebody seeing that differently because I think you can see that differently. But We can move on from that. I, I get tired of being that guy where we're, I'm just going to complain. I'm just going to complain. So I thought, you know, let's let's talk about how to try to – not that they're going to listen, right? The NFL is not going to listen to the Average Cheese podcast, though they should. But they're not <laughs> going to listen for advice. But, you know, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Let's move on to the Seattle Seahawks scoring zero points. And fuck you, Pete Carroll, for complaining (laughs) because we don't care what your officiating complaints are. You may or may not have benefited from some bad calls in the past. So what comes around goes a brown motherfucker. So that, yeah, eat it. Packer 17, sea chicken zero. I don't know that anything that the officials would have done would have stopped Russell Wilson from throwing two really bad interceptions in this game. So I'm not sure that that really mattered. Let's get with the good and the bad and the ugly. Let's start on offense. One thing from you that you thought was good. AJ Dillon. I just solid, solid all round. Again, no breakaway runs. We've talked about that in previous weeks, but five yards here, six yards here, three yards there, tough two or three yards down at the goal line for the go ahead scores and that 50 yard, Recept down the left sideline. Just, I, I, I mean, the guy's just proving what a study is. It all started and ended with AJ Dillon for me on Sunday. A hundred percent. His hands are better again. I've talked about that, but it was really nice to see how nifty his feet were on that catch and run yeah. because he could have easily stepped out of bounds, but instead of stepping out of bounds, made that little move on the edge and got another maybe 20, 25 yards yeah. out of that play where if he was very straight line, he would have had to have run out of bounds. So that's nice to see. You know, with Aaron Jones being out, we didn't talk about the injuries, and maybe we should. With Aaron Jones being out, A.J. Dillon's now the man. It's it's his show. It's his opportunity to shine. I don't know how any Packer fan couldn't have confidence in him. Like, I just see a guy that's ready to break out. It's going to be, in my opinion, and this is forward thinking, we're going to be better off with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones than we were with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. This is a more dynamic player than Jamal Williams right now in year two than Jamal Williams will ever be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great way of describing A.J. Dillon, an almost surprising way of describing A.J. Dillon. You know, when you when you looked at him when he came out of college, a 250-pound guy, a big back, Dynamics, not necessarily the first word that you would associate with him, but he is absolutely he is. And you talked about it with the, the catch and run down the sideline, didn't step out of bounds, made a couple of moves, and the guy does not go down easily. 
I think he has the potential to turn two yard gains into fifty yard gains because because he's got speed. But you know, he'll turn two yards into four yards and four yards into six yards. That makes all the difference. On third and one, he'll get hit at the line of scrimmage, but make the yard. All of that stuff makes a huge difference. So Jones being out for two, three, four weeks, maybe we're going to ride AJ Dillon. And when Jones comes back, it's going to look better than ever, I think. Assuming that we don't fall apart when Aaron Jones is gone, we're going to get a chance to exactly what we've been talking about. Now it's Patrick Taylor's time to shine. Now he's going to get some valuable reps. He got some reps in this game too. Didn't look terrible. He's going to get an opportunity to make some plays. And hopefully as that third back now, he'll be able to do things and he'll get his opportunity. My good in this game was the Packers dominated time of possession. They had the ball almost 40 minutes in this game. And in the cold, now I I don't know if the Packers will have home field advantage the entire route in the playoffs. We don't know that yet because it's still early. But if they do... You got to feel good in a January game in Green Bay that we can just smash motherfuckers in the face with A.J. Dillon. I, I think that's a good thing. Whereas in the past, you re- we, we talked about this, you don't really want home field advantage and be playing a really cold weather game when you're throwing the football all over the place. This team, with, I'll leave the defense for now, but for the, the offense we have, you can play cold weather football and win games when you need to. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really important point because even though the offense as a whole has not really got it all together for a whole game yet, you know, you feel like this is a team that could win in the cold, but could win on the road if they have to throw the ball as well, obviously, with, you know, with with Rodgers and Adams and whatever else. So you feel like that offense can win games in multiple ways. What about the bad offensively for you? I'm struggling to find too much bad. It would be a, a nitpicking. I guess that the passing game was passable. It did enough. You know, there was the big play to MVS early, again, down the left sideline. And it did everything it needed to do to keep that time of possession advantage, not turn the ball over other than the the very bad throw and the interception that was... That's the ugly for me. Well, that is the... That is the... (laughs) You know, and and that's... If Jordan Love had thrown that, everybody would have had their their hands up in the air saying, well, I told you he's not ready and whatever else. That um, would have been in the emergency room. Would have <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, other than that, for me, there is not, there's not too much on the bad side on the, on, on the offense. You'd like to have scored a few more points, but. Yeah, the bad for me is similar. I just felt like while I said that Aaron Rodgers doesn't need reps, it felt like he was a half second slow, kind of like in the New Orleans game. I felt like some of the throws weren't coming out on time. Now, I get that defenses have figured out if we play cover two, we're going to minimize the big gains over the top. And some of those things that the Packers did last year down the seam, they don't have the room to create those plays in. So they need to run the ball. But I just don't feel like there's that same sink. And and maybe I'm just off on that. But I just feel like, Rodgers is behind where he needs to be, and the guys catching the ball aren't 100% in sync with him either. And it's week, what, 11? It'll be week 11 this week. That's something that needs to get fixed. And like I said, the ugly for me is that was a really ugly throw by Aaron Rodgers. Again, you're right. If Jordan Love throws that ball, you're like, oh, rookie mistake. He doesn't get it still. 
Now, Aaron did say that he was trying to throw that ball through the back of the end zone. It didn't look like it. I know he was getting hit on that play, but that ball should have been 80 feet in the air if he was throwing that ball over the you know back of the end zone. But we know that Aaron Rodgers is a very truthful man, so why would I question what he's saying? Exactly. <laughs> Anything else about offense before we move on to defense? Well, I think the only thing, other thing to, to mention, and it's another big positive, I thought the offense line was as a group of five was probably as good in this game as it's been all season. It was difficult. Royce Newman's had his struggles this year, but I thought he was good. Probably his best game. And Billy Turner was good. Elton Jenkins continues to be good. So I thought it's worth a mention for the offensive line because I thought as a, as a group of five, one of the best games that they've played this year. Aaron Rodgers was only sacked once and there wasn't as many pressures as there was against the Chiefs. So that was nice. You also would like to see better than three yards of carry from the entire running game. But again, just win, baby. Like, you know, what I mean, do what is necessary to win football games. You had to have what you had. You, you got what you needed. Absolutely. And there's yards and yards, aren't there? You know, you can get six yards on a running play on third and eight, which counts for nothing. But those three yards on third and two or those three yards at the goal line, for the go-ahead scores and the and the second touchdown at AJ Dillon, those three yards are far more important than six or seven or ten yards that you might get somewhere else. So, and it was really nice to enough. see them run the football on the goal line. Yeah, very much so. He literally dragged Bobby Wagner into the end zone with him. AJ Dillon gets a body lean, and you're really going to struggle to keep that man from going where he wants to go. So let's move on to the defense. Good for you. I'm pretty much all over. I, th- I thought that the pressure was nice. Rashan Gary, Whitney Merciless, and I mentioned those two because we'll get onto their injuries, unfortunately, in a minute. But I thought the pass rush was nice. Well, at the back end, again, you know, I thought the two safeties, I thought Adrian Amos perhaps had his best game of the season. So, so he's looked in the last few weeks like he's been getting, it wasn't for me to say that he's getting better, but he appears to be more active and, you know, just more part of the game in the last few weeks than he's been previously. Savage as well. The corners as strong as they've been all season. Campbell was Campbell. Actually quite a quiet game, I think, for Devondre Campbell, but that's okay. That's <laughs> I'm happy for him to have a quiet, quiet game when the Packers are shutting the opposition out. Kevin King, again, this week, you know, it's it's an unpopular take. But Kevin King has been excellent the last two weeks and the week before he had his injury. So, yeah, and there's very little bad to say about a performance when you, sh- when you shut the other team out. There's good all over that all over that defense this past weekend. Yeah, you're not going to get gaudy numbers. I, I don't know how many offensive plays Seattle had, but it wasn't many. The Packers had the ball two-thirds of the time. So, yep. you know, Devondre Campbell's not going to have 13 tackles because there yep. was only maybe 50 <laughs> offensive plays or whatever. So it's going to be... You're not going to see that. I thought they had nice pressure. Whitney Merciless going down with a torn biceps. That hurts. Really? That guy comes in and gives you production in his 10 snaps or 15 snaps. He was, he collapses the pocket like very few Packers. Like he just is able to run guys through. Rashawn Uh, Gary, I would say is that guy too, but like Whitney Merciless, I would say is one a in collapsing the pocket. And that's a bigger loss than you would expect for getting a guy off the shit heap and just throwing him in there. Cause now who, who's next man up? It's Jonathan Garvin. And he just, he ain't it. 
Darwin and then the, the guy that they've activated off the practice squad, uh, Tipa Nalii. Whatever happened to the guy they pulled off of Tampa's practice squad? Is he still a Packer? I don't even know what his name is. I thought that they had pulled a linebacker off of Tampa's practice squad maybe before the season started. I shouldn't say that and have no idea who he is, but <laughs> <laughs> so they did. Tifa is now on the active yeah. roster. I mean, he has got one job, right? His one job is coming is to come in and rush the passer. And to be fair to him, you know, he's been almost, you know, on cut down day, he's always seemed like he's like at the 54th guy. Yeah. That he's that close to to making making the 53 man roster anyway. So now now this is his opportunity. And it's not in an ideal situation where Obviously, as Darius Smith's out, Rashan Gary's going to be. Well, we don't know. You know, they're still talking that he may play this weekend, but yeah, he's going to be impacted, I assume, in some way. Whitney Merciless is out, so next man up. But you know, we have to be patient and understand that you can't expect the fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh guy to be as good as the first guy. That's just not the way this works, especially guys that haven't played. And the Packers have been playing without Kiki in the in the lineup. So, yep. you know, there, there's a lot of guys getting reps that if you had your druthers, you wouldn't want them getting reps. You, you know, you'd want your starters in the game. But again, that might end up being a positive down the road. I really yep. think it will be. Guys will be fresh. Man, I hate to say this, but this might be another year. Like the last couple, I'm, I believe we can do things with this roster. I don't want to talk about the whole last dance thing. I just want to talk about this is a great football team. It's a very good football team. It's not just the offense like last year. I, I think you could say that the, it was a very offensively well, minded team who was getting by on defense. This is a much more balanced football team than we've had in uh, recent I, memory. Absolutely. And your, your point about guys that normally wouldn't get reps getting reps is such a big point. So take the take the cornerback position where Razul Douglas, when everybody's fit, is your number four corner. But you had no qualms about that guy starting if two or three of the guys in front of him went down for, for a particular game, as they have during the season. And I think that just really shows the depth that's there. And to be fair to Joe Barry and to Jerry Gray in this instance with the secondary, what a fantastic job those guys have done. I guess both schematically, but in particular about coaching and being able to get the next guy up to come in and be, let's face it, just as good as the guy that he's replacing. And to add to what you said, something needs to be said about the culture of the Packers organization. I'm sure you saw that. Jerry Gray was saying that Razul Douglas is in the video room watching tape until seven o'clock. He was joking about it, but that's not a joking matter. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is a yeah. man working his craft and trying to be the best possible player he can be. And while that is a right on Razul Douglas, it's also a, this is what we do here. This is the way we go about our business. Because if he plays for, I don't know, the fucking Jets or something, you know Razul Douglas is checking out the minute he can. A team that expects greatness 
and they're getting it out of a guy they pulled off the fucking shit heat. So Absol- yes. absolutely, and 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 the other guys around him. You know, let's take, and I'm just pick, picking a guy at random. Let's take Shamar John Charles, who's the probably the number five corner or whatever. You know, he's going to be looking at that and seeing how, how is that guy having coming in and having success? Yeah. Oh, he's doing all that film study, etc. I'm going to start to do it. Once one does it and is successful, everybody starts to do it. And it's, it's the kind of work ethic and habits that just kind of flow through the team. What about the bad defensively? Any bad defensively for you? It's hard to they're, find something. You try to team prob- out. That, yeah, there probably was something. I guess the only bad I'm going to say on this is it's back to the injuries, isn't it? it, it that's, yeah. the, that's the back thing. That's you know, nothing to do with the play on the, on the field. It's the sadness of losing, like you said, Whitney Merciless, who's been excellent you know, for 15 or so snaps or 20 snaps in each of the last few games. Um, Rashan Gary, you just hope that you know, that was a horrible, horrible-looking injury to the point where they wouldn't even show the replay on TV. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they came back after the break and made a point of saying that that we're not going to re-show the, the, not going to rerun that play because the injury looks so gruesome. Let's just hope that that injury is not going to nullify him in it in in any way. So I think that to me is is the unfortunate bad, those couple of injuries. Yeah, it's really hard to find bad when you shut out Russell Wilson. I mean, they picked him off twice, sort of put a caveat on that. Like Russell Wilson sailed some balls. His finger clearly wasn't a hundred percent. The both picks, I don't know who. So we were in the end zone of the King pick on the other side. And I didn't have a good angle on it because we were like 750 feet in the air, but it, it didn't look like it was even close. It looked like he threw the ball to King. And on the pick that Amos had, just a terrible decision. I don't know what he thought he was going to. He, he was just throwing that up for grabs and hoping for the best. That's what it looked like. Absolutely. But, but I think what those interceptions showed is, is how football's not necessarily all about individual plays. Those interceptions happened because of the game situation that the Seahawks were in. They were struggling to move the football through the air and on the ground. And that was, had to be Russell Wilson almost thinking he had to do it all by himself because of the way the game situation was. So, yeah, the ugly is merciless going down for the season, torn bicep. All we saw when I was there live was Gary bent over holding his elbow. I didn't see the play. I'm glad I didn't see the replay because that that stuff makes me kind of sick to my stomach. The positive in that, no broken bones for Rashawn Gary, no torn ligaments, none of that, which is kind of a miracle. The way he's talking on social media, he's going to play this week. But yeah. I'm sure the doctors will determine that, not Rashawn Gary, because, right, we're trying to win a Super Bowl, brother. And if we keep you out a week and we win a Super Bowl, you won't care. Special teams. Since Todd's not here, we have to take over the special teams. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Todd's special teams. He's expert. a special teams guru. Yeah, he's but our, he's not here. So we'll, he's, you know. He's our kicking consultant. Um, he is our kicking consultant. <laughs> And to be um, fair, when, when he missed his kick so badly, that kid dropped you know, like the hold was terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> How hard is it to be laces out when no one snaps you the ball? <laughs> what could you say about the special team? Malik Taylor had a nice kickoff return to start the game. You know, it was unusual to get out to the 35 on any on any kickoff. Yeah, so, yeah. that really improved so, his average. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now it's like not in the negatives anymore. And as for the field goal kick, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. That was a miss to the right. So all of the others this season have been 
pulled to the left. Now he's missing them to the right. I don't know enough about the kicking game to understand whether that's Crosby, whether that's the hold, whether the snap is on a different timing. I just, I just don't know. But they've got to, they've got to figure it out because there's a loss coming off the back of missed field goals. But that may have been a Kansas City game. That may have been. Hopefully, um, you know, it feels like you know. Wouldn't it be just? I almost don't want to say it. I almost, perhaps I shouldn't say I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> it feels like, you know, this is the season you get the defense together, the offense comes together at the end of the season, and then and then we miss four field goals or we have a block punt or whatever it might be in the NFC Championship game, and we find another way to lose that. To lose. I don't, I know. I'm hoping that's not the case, and I probably shouldn't have said it. <laughs> but we all think it, Peter. Yeah. We're all Packer fans, so you might as well just say it. Yeah, if we can find a way to lose, we will. That's Doesn't what it, it always... feel that way? It does feel that way. And the only thing I want to say, if you're going to have a problem, let's have it at this point of the season, and they've got time to, time to work it out. Todd and I were not sitting next to each other. There were three people in between each other, and I almost didn't want to look in his direction when that kick missed. <laughs> And there wasn't even no words. There was no words to be said. We both just looked down at the ground like, oh, fuck. Really? Like, when will this end? They need to get it fixed. Yeah, and the worrying thing about it is it also then starts to change the decisions, the, the play-calling decisions that coaches have to make during the game. You know, you 100%. Get to the, you know, you get to the 30 or the 35 and you think, you know, you're four from four. And normally you'd Mason you kick that all kick day long. Yeah. yeah. And now you're stuck between, well, do we, do we kick it? Do we go for it? Whatever else. And it completely changes the shape of the game and the, and, and the coaching decisions, which is yep. not good. Said that last week and I will stick to it. I hundred percent think they would have kicked that field goal against Kansas city. If it was last year's Mason Crosby, they just assume he's going to make it. And now I think they assume he's going to miss. That could change a lot of things. Bohorquez was okay, averaging almost 47 yards a kick, which is better than, again, what we expected. And not a 70-yarder and a 30-yarder. He only had a long of 50, so it's very consistent. Love that, He's dude. He's been really, been really good, really good. I assume you listened to last week's part of the episode where Todd and I talked, what about putting a quarterback back there to hold? And, and you guys hit the nail on the head. It's been one of those things that if you go back probably 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, it always was the backup quarterback. And we could all picture that film of, you know, Brett Favre's game against Cincinnati when he threw the touchdown pass to Kittrick Taylor and they had to kick the extra point to win that game. Brett Favre was the holder. I didn't know that. That's so awesome. he, was the ho- he was the holder for that extra point. And, when, and actually, when you look at it, he actually lets go of the ball before Chris Jackie kicks it. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, but you guys hit the nail on the it, it always was the backup quarterback, you know, and Danny White, as you talked about the Cowboys, great example. But it always was that guy for, for multiple reasons, not least because, yes, they handled the ball all the time. It gives the opposition something else to think about because that fake's always on. Yeah, I don't know, but it's become the fashion, hasn't it, now for the last, like I say, couple of decades that it, that it is the punter. All right. Anything else about the Seattle game before we move on to next week? Oh, I guess the only things are a, a Pete Carroll not being able to find the red flag. 
um, for the for the and challenge. throwing his flip phone out on yeah. the ground. Fisher Price close a play phone. <laughs> that, that was I mean that was hilarious. That was that was funny. And he never so. did find the red flag. It was a very <laughs> geriatric moment for Pete Carroll. He just kept that, looking, and the look on his face was like, "I don't think it's in here." <laughs> It's like that. What, what's that character in Harry Potter, Hermione, when she keeps pulling stuff out of her purse, pulls the tent out of there? That's, that's funny. So all we need now, going back to the, offic- the officials next week, rather than carrying yellow flags, should all carry flip phones, right? There you go. <laughs> Can't throw them at the player because they might hurt somebody. <laughs> they just throw it on the ground. Yeah, Pete Carroll, suck it. They're better than their record, but I think they're imploding. Like that whole DK Metcalf thing where he was, I looked like he was trying to get tossed out of the game just so he could stop playing. That was a little bit weird. I wonder if they're starting to give up on, on things this year already, Seattle. Quite possibly. Although we could probably do with them doing us a favor or two towards the last, last few weeks of the season by beating the Rams or. Yeah, I, I'll take it. They should have beat the Vikings a couple yeah. weeks ago. Speaking of the Vikings, how about a little Vikings history? Classic Packer Vikings rivalry. It's one of those series, a little bit like the Bears, that the Packers have only kind of just moved ahead in the series in the last few years. So the Packers lead 63, 55, and three. So they've got an eight game lead in the, in the series. But it's one of those series that almost feels like forever since the 1980s or whatever has almost been tied. Been very even. Uh, it really has. And if you look at it, you know, in the 60s, the Packers led that series as you would expect. Then the Vikings through the 70s, Tarkenton and, and Purple People Eaters and all of that lot were led the series. Then surprisingly, I guess, during the 80s, the Packers had a huge lead in the series. So even when the Packers were bad and had those four and 12 seasons, you know, I remember one of the four and 12 years when Mikowski was the quarterback. So probably 88, it might have been 91. I can't remember, but they beat the Vikings twice. So even when the Two Packers other four were bad, games. Two of their yeah. four wins were yeah. the Vikings. Yeah. So even when the Packers were bad, they seemed to find a way to, to to beat the Vikings. But again, you know, 1990s, when the Packers had that great team, the Vikings actually won more of those games. 2000s, pretty much like the Bears series has been, you know, a bit of Favre and then and then Rodgers and the Packers of 25, 15 and two since 2000 in the, you know, in the series. So that's kind of why they've got the eight game lead. Been some great games, haven't there? And the one that, Amongst the many that we remember is game that you were at, the Antonio Freeman. He did what? Yeah. That game. So that would have been two, 2000. Okay. The Packers won that game with Freeman's catch in overtime down the sideline. And, you know, we've gone through the whole Randy Moss thing. We've gone through the whole Brett Favre coming back thing. So, so it's quite a heated rivalry. You know, in terms of play on the field, it's kind of taken over from the Bears as the number one rivalry, even though the Bears will always be the number one rivalry, no matter what. But but on the field, this one's been a lot closer and had two teams that have generally been competing for the last 30 years. I was just going to say that bigger rivalry right now because they've had better teams and there's yeah. been a more evenness to the rivalry where I would agree with that. And this is not a bad current Vikings team. It's hard to say where they're going because they started off one and three. And I thought, okay, the wheels have fallen off. Zimmer's going to get fired, you know, and now they're starting to pull back around. I mean, they lost a game to Baltimore that they should have won. They beat a pretty good Chargers team. If I look at the Vikings schedule, they play 
some bad teams. I think this is a far better team than their record suggests. And if you if you go back and look at their results, and it's quite possible that all of their losses so far, their five losses, have been against teams that will make the playoffs. So they lost in week one to Cincinnati. Cincinnati may or may not make the playoffs. But, but they're, they're on the fringe of it. Yeah. Right. So they lost to Cincinnati by three points. They lost to Arizona by a point. They lost to Cleveland by seven. They lost to Dallas by four. They lost to Baltimore by three. So all of those losses, the five losses, have been by one score or less. So it's not inconceivable that they would be challenging the Packers for the division lead if two or three of those games turned around by three or four points the other way. It's a team that's not far away. Yeah, that Baltimore game, they literally shot themselves in the foot. Yep. That's a game that they should have absolutely won. And they just, they dropped the ball literally and figuratively yep. in that game. Yep. If you look at the rest of their schedule, they play the Packers. Okay. But then they play San Francisco. I'm not sure who the 49ers are right now. They whipped the Rams last week. But then it's Detroit, Pittsburgh, Chicago, the Rams, Green Bay again, and Chicago. Like there's some, winnable games in that stretch depending on what 49ers team they play they might roll off like four in a row going into los angeles to play the rams and again i don't know who the rams are either so this is a possible playoff team and this is a important game even though the packers are eight and two and the vikings are four and five this is an important game for the packers going nine and two and having them go four and six that makes me feel much better than it's a big deal. This is a big game for the Packers. So yeah, what's your key? Offensively, I think that Kirk Cousins is going to have his yards. He'll throw for around about 300 yards. He always does every week. 280, 290, 310. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and those guys are going to get there near 100 yards each. They do every week, pretty much. Jefferson's an outstanding receiver, as we know. For me, the key for the Packers is to be able to shut down the Vikings running game. Dalvin Cook is in the upper, upper echelon of running backs in, in this league. And I think that their backup, Madison, is a good back as well. He seems to get good yards when Cook's out and he runs hard. The key to the Packers winning this game is to stop stopping the Vikings running game. You totally read my mind there. When Dalvin Cook is healthy, he is one of the elite running backs in this league. Yeah. Now he misses games and that's the rub on him that he's never hundred percent healthy. I would say that he'll be, he should be relatively healthy in this game. And I think, yes, you have to stop Dalvin cook because if you don't stop Dalvin cook, they won't throw it and they shouldn't throw it. Like last year, he just ran it all over us. He scares me more than Kirk cousins. Kirk cousins has played good football and I beat up on him because I think he's a clown. And I think that when the chips are down, I'll say this till the end of time. I don't think he's a pressure quarterback. I think he's a guy who will win regular season games, but I don't know that I, I'd rather take Russell Wilson in the playoffs all day than Kirk Cousins. I don't know that he's a winner for using those terms again, but this is a talented offense that they're going to face. But I think it all starts with Dalvin Cook. The other thing I will say is, They got a guy named Tyler Conklin, who is their tight end. I don't know who the fuck Tyler Conklin is, but he's got 49 targets and 35 catches already this year. And that 
has been a struggle this year. Last week against Seattle, I think it's Everett, the former Ram, who had a pretty nice game against the Packers. Like they give up yards to the tight end. It's the one fault I think I see in this Packers defense. So that guy also becomes a factor, Tyler Conklin, whoever the heck that is. Central Michigan. Oh, okay. And I aired last week uh, the kid from Whitefish Bay went to Western Michigan, not Central okay. Michigan. First mistake of my life. Uh, what, what about on offense? What's the key on offense? We talked about defense. We need to stop Dalvin Cook. That's the key on defense. What about on offense? It's not dissimilar. I think I think that they have to get the running game going. With you know, We talked about how good it was this, this past week. And that doesn't mean they have to run for 150 yards, but they've got to run effectively. So this past week, as you know, they rushed for just over 100 yards. For me, they've got to do that again because I've not yet seen evidence this season that the passing game is at the level it, it's been in previous years. It doesn't look yet to me like Rodgers, for example, is going to have a 400-yard passing day any day soon. Now, he may do, and I'm not putting it on him, by the way. It's the system. It's the fact that he's got Adams, and then the other guys are a bit up and down. So it's not that's not a knock on, on Rodgers, but the offense, you, know, you touched on, on it earlier. The passing game just doesn't look like it's quite in sync. It doesn't look like they can go down the field purely passing the ball. So for me, again, it's it's the reverse of what we talked about for, for the Packers' defense. In this case, I think that they have to get the running game going and take the pressure off the passing game, which is okay. not something I necessarily thought I would hear myself saying coming into the season. I have been a big, we need to run the football guy all year long. I think the key, though, in this game is the intermediate to long passing game needs to find a way. They need some bigger chunk plays in the passing game. I think while the Packers defense has been great, I think they're going to have to score some points. They're going to have to score the high 20s, low 30s that I've been looking for the Packers to do. So I am looking for where's the 15, the, I don't know, 12 to 12 plus passing game. That's the key for me. If they can get that going, this offense is it's unstoppable. Once they get that longer passing game going. So that's the key for me. Anything else before we score predict? No. All right. Let's do it. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. This is always a difficult game going to Minnesota. Minnesota, as we said earlier, generally, you know, a good football team over the last 30 years. Going into Minnesota has always been difficult for the Packers. I'm afraid to say I think the Packers come up short because I don't think Minnesota can keep on losing games by three points and four points and one point. The Packers are going to struggle to stop Dalvin Cook, and I don't think they will. I don't think they'll hold him in in check, and I think that that the Vikings are going to win this game 24-17. Interesting. So I have also debated that. The Packers have historically, at least in my mind, played well in Minnesota. I don't know why. That's probably totally wrong. But that's the vision I have. I think the Packers still win, but I think it's a Mason Crosby field goal with me (laughs) sweating bullets (laughs) in my living room. I think the Packers are going to win 27-26. I think he makes a kick that they 
he has to make to win. And I think he does it. I hope and pray that he does. I, I hope you're right. I absolutely, I absolutely hope you're right. And there would be nothing better to get Mason Crosby out of the slump, if you want to call it that, than to 100%. kick a game winning, to kick another game winning field goal. That's the way you get out of slumps, right? Yeah. By doing yeah. big things. Yeah. And yes, against the Vikings, maybe a 40 plus field goal to win it after Aaron Rodgers leads them with 59 seconds left down the field just to get that kick. That's like old times again. That feels right. Sounds great to me. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 63, the Fuzzy Thurston episode. Go back, go. Go back, go. Thank you.